I'm going to give you everything that I can, every piece of knowledge. I'm going to do everything I can to make you better. You repay me with hard work. More than likely, you will never repay me directly, but you're going to repay the fire service. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap number two, one, two. My guest tonight is Lieutenant Brian Richards, currently assigned to Ladder 42 of Lake Country Fire Rescue. He has 15 years on the job. He is a student and teacher of the craft. He's a fire instructor at the Technical College, the FTC, the Fire Academy, rescue diver, SWAT medic. He loves the fire service, and he has a passion for understanding what makes people tick. I have enjoyed my conversation with him every time that we have been able to meet and cuss and discuss, and I look forward to our conversation this evening. My brother, Brian Richards, it is my honor to have you on The Scrap for episode 212. Welcome, my brother. Thank you. It's an absolute honor to be here. There's so many incredible instructors that have come before me, mentors, people that have traveled all over the country to see, and to be able to sit on that same stage is, is incredible. So thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, is there anything I missed? Anything you would like to add to uh, your introduction or anything? Yeah, anything to throw in there? No, I, I think we're going to get to everything. That's, I certainly don't have the uh, the accolades that a lot of these instructors have, so I'm going to just get right into it. Love it. Um, audience, they are chiming in already. Here we go. I'm going to read. I'm just going to read a few. Yo-yo. Uh, Yo-yo <laughs> coming from John McCollin. Let's go. Love watching you guys. Comes from Caitlin Hughes. James Mitchellisco checking in from Indy, as always. Let's get it. Checking in from Bama. Coming from Allen. Greg Van Ham is here. Jennifer Hamby Ashdown checking in. Garrett Herzberg, Greenshift checking in. Uh, James Mitchellisco said, hell yes, a fellow public safety diver. Uh, Caitlin says, love listening to you guys. First time watching live. Well, welcome to the first live show. Get your questions ready for Brian and myself. Julie Ann said, future green shift checking in with a big smile. <laughs> but we got it. Texas is in the house. Michael Ramirez, welcome, my brother. John Shackle for checking in. It was good seeing you a couple weeks back. All right. So everybody's hype. Everybody, get your questions ready for Brian. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, especially generational stuff early on, and then get into whatever else and all the rabbit holes. So absolutely get your questions ready. Kyle Romagus, Mr. Smoothbore Cartel, is here. He is watching the chats. He is ready to grab your questions, so make sure you put the good ones in. Uh, Let's do the quick announcements. If you're not a member of the Vigilantes, you need to go and join. It is the Cool Kids Club. We are in uh, the final week of beta testing the V90, which has been fun, and we're wrapping it up, and and the next version will be released soon, complete with all the updates that the Vigilantes suggested. Uh, So it's going to be a good time. And then, of course, like after the scrap, we have the scrap after party that just the Vigilantes get to come to. So if you want to be a part of that, go to firehousevigilance.com. Yes, it's actually going to be great. Uh, We're also getting ready to roll out some Vigilante-only swag, and you heard that here first. Become. But on to the sponsors so we can get to the show. Keyhoes, the hose experts. Check them online at keyhoes.com and follow them on Facebook. Then there is the affordable drill tower. Firefighter owned and operated. The only thing that you can't do in an affordable drill tower is live fire. Affordable drill tower. 
You can repel, stretch hose lines, go through the stairs, go through the floor, do window bailouts, cut holes in the roof props, use the apartment balconies, pump into the FDC or flow water from the sprinkler system. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. And then firestationfurniture.com provides a complete line of quality furniture for your firehouse. Firefighter owned and operated. They understand the strain firefighters put on furniture and offer furniture that's built to last. Visit www.firestationfurniture.com for more information. And with that being done, the sponsor's in place. It is time to talk to my friend, my brother, Brian Richards. Uh, And right out the gate, man, we were talking a little bit before off camera, so I'm going to lead off with it. Actually, how we first met, um, uh, I still remember it to this day, was the uh, social we had at the conference we had in Oklahoma where you came down from Wisconsin. It was like, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I don't know how many of you guys watching this know this, but the Chief had his own conference. It was a one-time gig, unfortunately. Um, I think all of us that attended it would love to be able to attend it again, myself included. So I'd been watching Scraps for a while, and one of the things I always picked up was Chief loves his Modelo. you got to have that Modelo. And so to me, this it, it just happened. The Time off of work worked out just fine, and I was able to make it down. I love traveling, so I hop in the car. I camped the whole way down. I camped the whole way back. Had a great conference, met a ton of great people, and it really epitomized to me one of those amazing things about these conferences and the fire service as a whole, that I met all these great guys, and we were all – the majority of them weren't down with like 10 guys, so everybody was extra sociable. We were having a blast. The socials afterwards were fantastic. Whatever that bar was, great food. I almost feel like I should give them a shout out, but either way, they. Uh, so I remember being down there, and you were this just big, like huge dude to me. Like he's the one running this training company. He set all this up. He brings all these people and all these instructors that I look up to. I'm reading their books. I'm watching their videos. I'm taking every iota information I can get from them. Like he's right here. Like he's over there. And I thought, you know, if there's going to be anything I can do, I got to be able to say that I bought him a Modelo. So I went up to the bar and I can remember asking, like, hey, you have Modellos? They're like, yeah, of course we do. I like here I'm thinking that Modelo is like some rare. And then I realized how delicious they were. So either way, I come up to you and I give you a Modelo. I said, hey, chief, thank you for everything. I just wanted to be able to say that I bought you a Modelo. I hand it to you and I turn around and I go walk away. And you're like, hey, man, like, no, stick around. Where are you from? Who are you? What like what's your deal? And I just remember this moment of just awe, like holy cow, this huge instructor, this great guy, and he just wants to talk to some just random fireman from Wisconsin. And we ended up having a great conversation, as you said. Um, talked about a lot of different things, had a couple different beers, but it was so profound to me. And I alluded to this before we started this that that really taught me something about the fire service that I didn't really already know. And it was, we're all just firemen. Yeah. And you can never let your head get too big and think, you know, I'm better than someone else. Absolutely not. Like everybody's got their own experiences. Everybody comes from a different cut and everybody's got a different opportunity. And it really made me realize that when I go to these conferences, you know, put yourself out there, have a conversation. You never know who you're going to talk to. You never know what you're going to learn. A comment right away off the bat, like another public safety diver, I'd love to talk to you about public safety, how your team runs things, how my team runs things, the 
the good stories, the bad stories. That's that's why we go to these conferences to learn more, to meet these people, to network, and to be able to talk about these things. The to be able to travel and say, yeah, I got a buddy down there. They run this hose load. We're looking at it. Why don't we talk to him? Right on. Uh, and you know, and that was really one. Of, that's what cemented it. That entire class and being able to be able to say that we're friends after that. Just because I walked up and I just wanted to, I just thought it'd be cool to say that I got you a Modelo. And all I ever imagined from that was that I'd be sitting in the firehouse, and be like, "I bought that guy a beer." Nice. We really did. We really did become. We became best friends that that yeah. evening, man. We talked. I don't know how long that that evening, but uh, it's crazy to me to hear that people think that that that, that I'm a big deal because it 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 it's weird to me if that makes sense. Cause like I brought in all the people I thought was big deals and I'm still intimidated by them at that same social event. They like, like Kyle Romagus was, he he came up there and Howard Reinwald and Scott Thompson and all those people that made that thing so magical that gave their time. And those were all people I looked up to. And uh, so it's the same thing. Like he said, even Kyle even said it in here, we're just dudes that like to go to jobs. Right. And that's, I think honestly, it's an important lesson to really articulate and understand that, if you ever think you're more than that, you need a gut check. Oh, yeah. You need to go to a conference and talk to someone. There's always someone that's gone to a few more jobs, except for maybe like, I don't know, Mike Champo or something like that. But, but yeah, without a doubt. Without else. a doubt. Uh, yeah. All right. Lots of stuff. Already got questions coming at you. Uh, but I want to lead off with, because it's what we started to talk about. I'm going to start with our topic, and then we'll get the we'll get audience questions coming in. Because they he's already pulling them out. Um I don't. Yeah, we got some soft tosses, but I'll use those to break it up. Uh, the iPhone generation. I, I, I want to. I'm going to lead off with what defines the iPhone generation, just so everybody's on the same page with what you mean when you say iPhone generation. Yeah, and that that's how I know we're buddies because that's exactly how I wanted to start this off. And I want anybody who's listening to right now to tell me, what generation are you? And I can tell you right now that probably the boomers are the only ones that can definitively say, yeah, I'm a boomer. Besides that, everybody's probably pulling out their iPhone and Googling what defines each of them. And as someone who's gone through a bunch of schooling for sociology, psychology, and we talk about these things, it's it's a fluctuating term. You know, the Gen X, the Gen Z, whatever other ones you want to call. So I'm not going to put a hard and fast definition down on it. And my definition for these people is based more off their actions than anything else. Okay. And I think when I put the title of the iPhone generation, the people tuning in are probably already picturing that person. Um, the Not the first, but the second documentary for Burn, Burn X. At one point in there, they do a transition. And it transitions from the original cast from the first one. And they're sitting around the coffee table reading papers, having a conversation, and it very clearly transitions to much younger guys all on their phone. And I want to say that they even overlay some audio saying that it's different. Of course it's different. It's a new generation. Right. No two generations are the same. Tell me the last time that a new generation isn't looked at by the preceding generation. They're like, ah, those kids in their rock and roll, like, uh, those kids and their Afro, like whatever you want to say. No, and I always, I always say that, uh, that I guarantee you that whoever was the last turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, they were knocking the greatest generation when they were coming of age. They were like, ah, this generation will never amount to anything. Absolutely. hundred percent. So with that being said, 
I'm going to define the iPhone generation as those actions. And another definition that I've heard heard thrown around is the social media generation, because that to me is a pretty strong definition of this generation. The I mean, chief thing about when did you get your first iPhone? I know when I got my first, or excuse me, just first cell phone. Okay. I got my first one. My parents outlined it very clearly. Like, this is one use and one use only. Right. Emergency. You can use this only for, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is dad's at a call right now. Mom's in court. There's no way we can come to get you. And we need to call you and say, your brother's coming to get you. Your aunt and uncle's coming to get you. You're not, and you're waiting an hour or something like that. Now, if you're in grade school, you've got an iPad, an iPhone, and, you know, an Oculus and all these other things. So it's almost standard. Like yeah. how many schools nowadays require internet access because like snow days just don't exist anymore. It's right. internet access days now. So that's going to be how I define it is the social media, the, you know, definitive hard attachment glued to their cell phones is another expression that you hear all the time. Right. Glued to their technology. Um, That's, I think that's kind of the the loose definition I'm going to use for that. And I'm guessing everyone listening is like, I can picture people that, and that's regardless of age. You've got, you know, a 30 year old who can't stop 30, 40 year old who can't stop sitting, looking at their phone, scrolling through Facebook, looking at that, this and that. But then simultaneously, we've got 16, 17, 18 year olds signing up to go to combat and are wise and just they're, they're beyond their years. So right. I'm never going to put a really hard definition of like these years to these years. But I think we can all picture people like that. Right on. No, I like it. Um, coming at you for, and we'll get back to this because this is what we're really going to dive into is the generations and the differences and, and, and effective leadership with them. Like that, but I got questions coming at you. Uh, Brad Dubuque wants to know, and this was the soft toss, the opening soft toss. Favorite hockey team? I see the mask. Yeah. Um, Calgary Flames. I feel like that's almost a cop out for a firefighter, but I have more reasons than just because their mascot's a flame. Calgary Flames. There you go. Uh, first question, easily fielded from the audience. Caitlin Hughes. Do you have any advice for a new junior fire member? I have been a member for less than a year and feel like I know less than I should. Um, man, there's, I feel like this entire lecture is going to answer that question. But to sum it up real quick, um, be hungry for knowledge. Use technology to get that knowledge. Listen to your senior people. And more importantly, um, don't let that mindset that you should know more stop you that I've heard that more and more from this newest generation is like, well, I should know more. Why? I mean, have you gone to 10 conferences? Have you been to FDIC for the last six years? Have you watched every single scrap, but you still don't know how to put your bunker pants on? Then you're right. But give yourself some credit. If you're, if you're new into this, I don't expect you to know anything. I expect you to be hungry. I expect you to learn and I expect you to grow. Um, Chief, you might know, but I know there's a great quote out there. Give yourself the excuse to make unlimited first mistakes. Love that. Make those mistakes, learn, but learn from those mistakes. The repeat mistakes is where the problems come in. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we'll talk about. But, I mean, that's kind of 
That's say, that, say that quote again. I'm, I almost got it. Go ahead. Say it again. Sorry. So uh, allow yourself to make unlimited first mistakes. So chief, you and I have talked about that Excel spreadsheet that I sent you once. That's got all those quotes in it that don't get me wrong. I take a lot of them from you and a lot from your scraps, but I know it's in there. So I'll make sure I get you that back again. No, I'd love the updated version. Cause I don't, yeah, that would, that, uh, Give yourself the excuse to make unlimited first mistakes, man. I love that. Okay, sorry. Completely sidetracked there. Uh, So we'll get on with it. Caitlin, great question. Thank you for sending it. Making sure, and I'm going to move in back to the generations. John Shackelford has one that ties into it, but I'm going to go to how can fire service, or how does their upbringing and technology, so basically we kind of already touched on it because it kind of is what defines them. Their technology and their upbringing is what kind of defines their worldview. Well, I so we're, almost, we're, we're tiptoeing along two different things. We got the, how do you define who belongs to this? Right. And how do you define or what defines them? And I think one simple word that is probably not very simple because no one's going to be able to spell it on Scrabble is uh, immediacy. So I really want you to think right now, think 20 years back, 10 years back, and think about how long it took you to get anything done. So if you really want to go back, I think one of the best definitions, best ways to think about this is writing a paper when you were back in school and you needed information. Let's say your fa- the, the most popular food in the world. Okay, how would you find that information pre-internet, pre-technology, pre-pull my phone out? I'm guessing half of you have already Googled it because you're like, what is the most? Right. And Google's told you what that is. Well, before Google and before Ask Jeeves and Yahoo and all that, you had to walk down to the library, library you had to yeah. talk to the librarian. If the library was even in your school, if not, after school, on the weekend, you're going to the public library where the librarian's angrier and all the books are nastier. She gives you a list. You go through the Dewey Decimal System, which, thank God, I pushed that out of my brain. You find an encyclopedia. You look through 600 pages of information only to find out it's not the right one. So you put that back. You go find the next one. You try again. So that repeated at least gives you a concept of work. And I'm not going to say that the iPhone generation doesn't understand what work and work ethic is, but it wasn't immediate. You didn't expect that answer to be right there in your hand at a moment's notice. And really think about right now, think about the last time you Googled something and the answer wasn't within the first three search results. I'll bet you got upset because now I'm, Oh my God. I have to go to the second page. Now, of there's a second page. Like what the hell is this? We're, we're pretty much into the dark web at this point. Right. So immediacy. And let's look at, let's take this further. Um, when's the last time you had to wait more than 48 hours for something? Cause you ordered it from Amazon. Right. I know I'm sure I'm not the only one in here that might've had a few too many Modellos and next morning I wake up and there's already an Amazon purchase on my front porch. I'm like, Holy cow, what did I order? Right. Which of course it's something awesome, but either way I didn't need it. That's immediacy. Right. You can go back a couple years, AOL instant messenger. Like how many kids in the iPhone generation have any idea what it is to write a letter, post it, throw it in the mailbox and wait, two business weeks before that gets back. Think even further back to buying things out of a magazine. Like that oh, yeah. doesn't even exist anymore. In a magazine, it says, go to our website, go to our Etsy store. And within a week, it's going to be there. And we really want to get nostalgic. Blockbuster versus streaming services. 
I show me a firehouse that doesn't have at least one of every single streaming service. And if you want to watch a movie, the longest wait is figuring out and Googling which streaming service it's on. Which one it's on. Or yeah. or figuring out the password to log into whoever's whoever's streaming service you're using. Exactly. Or saying, hey, why did you log out of Netflix? Why did you log out? And then even further, DoorDash. Who wants to go to the grocery store when Uber Eats and DoorDash is going to have whatever pre-made food at my door? So am I saying that this is the definition of this society? No, but psychology tells us repeated behaviors, well, they affect you. And when you get used to that immediacy, that affects you. So how does this affect you in the firehouse? Well, the only way we get better is by repeated efforts over and over and over and working and working and working. And what I see more and more is young firefighters that run that drill one time, two times, and they get upset. Why am I not performing? Go back to the comment we just had. Right. I feel like I should be better. You feel like you should be better because you're used to hitting the button and getting your result. And unfortunately, repetition over the next decade is what's going to put you right into this seat where you're presenting one day as opposed to that immediate. It's nothing against you. It's what society has taught you indirectly. So we've got to, especially as the seniors, as the generation, and as all of us, recognize that this subconscious belief that everything's going to happen right away. It's not true. We muscle memory. We haven't figured out a way to make muscle memory push button yet. Right. It's got to be something that we hammer at and you've got to point it out. And then we've got to curb those frustrations, but our young firefighters, why am I not getting it? How many times you done this drill? Well, I mean, I just did it today. Okay. Well, you're probably tired. That's what muscles do when you use them over and over again. They get tired. So let's put it down. Let's go get a cup of coffee and not from Starbucks, from the kitchen. And then we'll come back down a little bit later. We'll try it out. You know, maybe not. Let's try it next shift. And we've got to kind of retrain them and make them understand that this takes repetition. And it's not just when I'm there either. You've got to do it on your own. I can't tell you how many fire recruits I've said as they come through. is like, listen, I'm showing you how to do this skill. I'm showing you how to do this drill. I expect you to do this on your own. Very infrequently am I seeing them doing this on their own. It's, and I still haven't exactly figured out where that comes from yet. The, That's what I was going to ask. Like, has it, has, in your experience, has it helped you? Do you actually bring up the fact that they are used to everything being immediate and this is not? Do you do you actually articulate that to them? Does that help or do you just leave it alone and just let them learn? Uh, basically, do you voice it or no? Does it help you voice it? I, I've started to. And admittedly, through school and everything and understanding how research works, you know, you do a couple classes one way, you do a couple classes the other way, you take a look at how that curriculum works, you bring it together and determine the best best way to go. So. I definitely think it's going to be something that starts getting voiced is trying to point it out. Like, Hey, you're not used to doing this, but at the same time, you know, it's not even necessarily right to say because anyone who's been in athletics, and I think just about every firefighter has gone through some form of athletics understands that it's repetition and athletics hasn't changed nearly as much as the educational system has, which we'll probably get to at some point too. And 
you've got to really key into that and reference that because at least if they've got a couple of years of athletics, regardless of what that is, they'll have some base to say, yeah, you know what? I get that because every day I showed up to practice every day I made the same tackle and then I made one tackle in the game. And then the next day I'm right back running that drill again, over and right. over again. Right. Uh, how many hundreds of thousands of pucks have you got to get shot at to make one good save and be right back into practice right after that? No, and they understand that. No, I like it. Um, John Shack, okay, back, I'm swapping on you back and forth between our plan topics and the and the audience. The audience coming at you, John Shack for saying, in your opinion, what's the hardest generation to train and why? And again, I know you didn't label them all, but it's his question. So what's your opinion? Uh, I think for me, it's any generation that is considerably older than I am. Like you guys can all make your guesses at how old I am, but really it's looking at me when they walk into the fire academy and reaction and saying like, there's no way this kid's got anything to teach me. So it's not even as much the generation as the person that comes in with the preconceived notions and makes their impression of this kid's got nothing for me. And I treat them the exact same way that I treat brand new kid is like, I'm going to teach you something. I do have experience. I do have knowledge and I'm going to put everything I've got into teaching you. And more importantly, when I'm demonstrating a drill, I'm going to demonstrate it. And then when you do it and you fall flat on your face. So one of the simplest ways it started as a challenge between myself and a neighboring agency's instructor that we teach together a fire Academy every day when we teach ladders, ground ladders, um, we make all of the recruits start with a 14. I don't care if you come in seven, 350 pounds of brute strength, you're starting with a 14 because you need to learn that technique. But when I demonstrate that exact same technique to you, I'm doing it with a free fly 36. So the exact same thing that you start with a 14, I'm doing the three fly 36 and making easy. The best of my ability when I'm teaching you how to move an inch and three quarter, I'm doing it with a two and a half. And those little things, they go, okay, yeah, you're right. He, he gets it. He knows what he's doing. And you have to wear it down. It's You're never going to get anywhere if you tell someone, I know more than you. I am smarter than you. To some degree, you can say that just by standing in front of them. Like Clearly, someone thinks you're worth something if you're up there. But proving it to them, that's always going to work. And to some degree, some people just don't want to listen to you. But that's their problem. Right on. There you go. Lot there. Closing it out. Uh, closing it out there. Jennifer Ashdown asking, do you find your people communicate via Snapchat instead of traditional text? It drives me nuts. Um, my battalion chief is listening right now, and my battalion chief loves to communicate via Snapchat. And, yes, it drives me crazy as well. But to some degree, you just, you roll with it. Um, now, I will always prefer text message for things like I got a really short attention span and I forget things very easily. So I prefer text message because I can go back and reference. As a record, yeah, a record of it, yeah. And that's the same thing with my people that um, I try not to do anything during the workday in Snapchat, but simultaneously, 
if I see my BC Snapchat me during work, like it's probably something official. I got to jump on that quicker. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, it, my BC does it. So everybody does it. And I'm not going to say that that's necessarily wrong. I mean, it's no different than um, using something like WhatsApp for your union chats. It gives you a little bit of protection and familiarity and comfort. Not to mention one awesome thing about Snapchat that you need to think about is if he's communicating. So we unfortunately do interfacility transfers. If he's communicating information about a transfer that I've got to pass along to my crew and he takes a picture of the information and sends it to me via Snapchat, well, that's really easy and streamlined for me to pass that photo along. Similarly, if I'm trying to communicate that something's broken to one of my people or I'm trying to demonstrate something, well, Snapchat works pretty very, very streamlined across Android, iOS, all of the services, whereas a text message and a you know SMS may not. So yeah, does it drive you a little bit crazy sometimes? Absolutely. <laughs> right. But at the same time, it's almost cultural at this point, and it's just it's God's places. Love it. Oh coming. I'm looking, I'm looking. Your friend and mine, Chad Bootsin, says, how do you assist the dinosaurs, i.e. older generation officers, help this younger crowd succeed besides just being patient? Well, uh, you got to be patient to some degree. But I think one of the big things, and that's probably a great way to kind of transition into some other things, is you got to think like they do. And that's easier said than done. You got to understand what they're looking for and just generally how their brain chemistry is working. So one thing that I've got in my notes that's really important is, and we touched on it earlier, is they're used to having a single resource for all of their information, Google. Now, when's the last time that you tried to Google a very specific tactic or even like my agency right now is trying to go through, trying to go through a um, hose load change. And one thing that we ran into when we made our initial push was people were Googling the Minuteman and trying to figure it out. But every video is at a different angle at a different agency at a truck that's set up different than ours. It doesn't necessarily work. So what you need to do with those dinosaurs is almost empower them and make them realize that they are in fact important. Even the saltiest, crustiest, worst driver operator that's glued or the previous agency I worked for senior man was a dirty word. The senior man that is sitting in the corner on the recliner all day, every day, they have something that these people don't. They've got experience. Even if it's a couple days more experience, that's experience. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's the, the history of the community they're protecting, the way that the culture of the community has ebbed and flowed. So reminding them that no matter how archaic they might feel, no matter how out of date, like, hey, so for instance, the current hose load we have has been my agency's hose load probably pushing a decade now. And we had an old crusty dog that was just like, Hey, when did we put that hose load on there? And everyone was floored. It's been this way for almost a decade. <laughs> oh, never seen it. Now that incredibly detached individual, I mean, he's also a hundred years old. 
still knows a lot. He's been around a long time. He knows why the roads are laid out that way because before I-94 existed, this road went this way and this went this way. Those buildings are laid out that way because when it burned down, it burned down in sections and they retrofitted this one and came after that. So remind these people that even if you're just a historian, you've got critical information. And if you don't pass that along, you're doing the fire service a disservice because that, and not to sound like they die as soon as they leave, but that information dies with you. So the day that they walk out the door, you lose this repository of information that even the guys that I despise the most on the job, the ones who had you know 20 more years than me and like to remind me of that, but also didn't really share any information. Right. One of their friends, a, a fellow senior man, chief, you, you've got to remind them you've got something important. And your role is to pass that along. You do that on your terms and they need to be ready to listen to you. But simultaneously, you've got something. Be that single source of information. But at the same time, be a big enough man or woman to say when they ask you a question, you know, like, hey, I don't know, but I'd love to find out that information with you. Right. And that can be jarring for that generation because they're like, well, why didn't Google? Now you're telling me I have to go to the second page of the Google results? Well, yeah. Welcome to the fire service. And as Chief Butsin used to say to me all the time, there's no silver bullet in the fire service. There's no one size fits all. You've right. got to be able to adapt, move on, and check multiple sources. Go to that second encyclopedia. Go to that second page. Ask someone else. So by reminding them that they're important and more importantly, really finding their niche. And if that's nothing else than a historian, okay, be historian. Tell them about what that ambulance looked like, why that ambulance is spec that way, why you have in your union contract what you have and what they fought for so that you can have it. Because I'll tell you what, there's a few things in union contracts that I didn't appreciate until I left that agency and I went, wow, um, now I understand how hard they fought for that. Right. I take on this because uh i mean there's a lot of like you say the immediacy and things like that but that makes a lot of sense on why hard work looks different to them why struggling yeah. is different for them so, so yeah. Let, let's delve into that let's talk about hold up, hold up. okay sorry go ahead all right so let's talk about why respect looks and again i put a huge asterisk here this is person to person. And again, the 18 year old that spent four years in the U S army combat. So it's going to look different to them. It's going to look different than to a football player. That's got 12 years playing football. So understand that no silver bullet, but let's talk about some of the elements that redefine respect versus what we're used to. So one of the easiest ways for me to describe this is who eats first at your kitchen table. I think a lot of people are going to say, you know, the senior man, the chief, it's not really how I run it. And we'll probably get to a little bit of servant leadership. But in my opinion, first off, um, I'm fat enough. I can survive a few more minutes so my people can eat. I'm not on the ambulance, so I'm less likely to be out the door for a longer period of time. So I want my med crew to eat. And more importantly, I want my people to eat because I'm a lieutenant. And if you guys didn't know this, lieutenant in Latin means I only care about my people. 
and that's the sole responsibility. It, don't look it up. That's not actually what it means. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I understand that the stoic face like makes you believe that, but that's not actually what it is. Someone who went to like eight years of Latin is just screaming at the screen. Like, right. That's not true. It's French. Liar. <laughs> yeah. And he's probably saying it in Latin, perfect Latin too. So either way. Um, so we talk about that and I've got, I've got interns in my fire department. And that's one of the reasons that I've been able to kind of study this culture directly because I've got this culture surrounding me all the time. So I've got one intern who his old man actually came up with me in the fire service. I worked with him for a long time. And he gets so uncomfortable when I literally have to order him to eat before me because he understands that in traditional fire service culture, you know, you're the boss. You, you don't have to clean the dishes unless you decide to do it. You get that meal first. Um, you get the first cup of coffee. You refill their cup of coffee. He's incredibly uncomfortable. And I've explained it to him a million times. Like, listen, I, I appreciate that, but I want you to eat first. But it's ingrained in him because his old man passed it along to him. And right. that's, you know, how it's passed along traditionally. But then I've got a couple brand new people that literally, have, they got their first generation into the fire service. Um, they probably never even heard of the burn documentary. We just showed one of them backdraft for the first time because as far as I'm concerned, that's a, it, that is a cultural part that helps yeah. you understand where it comes from. I'll jump ahead a little bit, but... If you haven't read this book, uh, you need to because it tells you so much about the culture and why we are universally respected as firefighters. It's not because Brian Richards did something. It's because Dennis Smith, the war years and all that. So they don't understand that. And I actually worry sometimes that if I end up leaving my agency, going somewhere else, and they're on probation and they eat before an officer, but they don't realize that that's not the norm, they're going to get chewed out. Simultaneously, that's just how my firehouse works. That's how my shift works because I care about them. Right. So why, why is this? So think back to where you learned your concept of respect and where you learned sir ma'am back when it was only sir and ma'am and not something else where did you learn that well for me i learned that not just from my parents who learned it from their the greatest generation passing it down to them but i i learned it in school and i only learned it from one individual and that was my weightlifting coach who was also the gym coach and so for four years he helped mold me and first day of freshman PE and we're putting on matching uniforms. He's instructing us how to sit in front of him and yelling at us that you will respond to me as sir. And if you don't, I will make this entire group punch pretty much. That was jarring to me and incredible. But over a couple of years, I understood it. He earned our respect. So it wasn't just, he told me to say, sir, but then I also realized he taught me something very importantly that, um, if I don't know you, you get a sir or a man. That's just how that works. That's just okay. the basic respect. I'll pass that along. How many schools do you think are doing that this day and age? Yeah, it doesn't exist. It's gone. Yeah, absolutely. So, and this isn't to say that respect isn't taught, but it looks different. It's definitely not sir or man. Sir or man might be picked up in fire school, depending on how strict your school is, but it's not the norm. 
maybe you picked it up in sports, but in really you're calling them coach. That's, that's not quite the same. You're calling them by their title. So another thing that I think to a degree affects this in, I'm not saying that this is a good or a bad thing is that everybody's special movement and it doesn't correlate to the fire service very well because to some degree, um, I, I forget what the actual, but was it core d'esprit, the you know spirit of the company that when you come into the fire service, yes, you're special because you have unique experiences that could benefit our company, but everything you do is to fit into this company. And we have a mold that we are going to put you in and you stay there. You're not special. You are another firefighter with me, but your special abilities or experiences might make you slightly different. Right. Where's that being taught? We think about years and years back in school, sit in your desk in neat orderly lines in a uniform. If you step out of line, some cases you're literally being hit with a ruler or, you know, backhanded by the nuns. It's definitely not. Now it's, we're in circles. You can do whatever you want to some degree. Um, no, I mean, literally, it's almost literally you can do whatever you want. I mean, it's, it's, but yeah. So again, we go back to the basic psychology of that. If that's how you were brought up and you get brought into a paramilitary organization that is expecting, sir, ma'am, you're cleaning, you're cooking, you're brand new, which means you're the bottom of the barrel. They've never experienced anything like that. So it's shell shocking. So again, we go back to Chief Butzine's comment, the, you got to teach them that. You got to explain that. And more importantly, think about the last time that you Googled something. It didn't, you know, it just gives you the answer, but it gives you an explanation. So right. what I've found more and more of this generation is they respond more and more and they're going to be better. You explain to them why. So don't just say, you have to call me, sir. Why? Okay. Right. You right. Call me, sir on the assumption that I've been here longer, therefore I'm senior. And by showing me that respect, you are paying me. What I'm going to repay you with is all my knowledge. I've told countless new people that come in when I give them like my welcome to the crew and welcome to the fire service talk is I am going to invest heavily in you. I'm going to give you everything that I can, every piece of knowledge. I'm going to do everything I can to make you better. You repay me with hard work. More than likely, you will never repay me directly, but you're going to repay the fire service. One of the things I think is just amazing to me is when I was going for lieutenant, when I was going for captain, which I didn't get, the I was training with a Milwaukee captain. And at the end of it, and just out of respect, you know, I'm bringing him ice cream, I'm bringing him cases of beers and booze, like the payment that we would expect without actually paying someone for their tutoring services. And by the end of it, I asked him, just like, Cap, like what? And of course, he then hit me because he told me, don't call me Captain, just call me Jace, which was profound in and of itself. Um, and he said, you're going to repay me by passing along this information. He gave me all of his curriculum. And recently, we've got a lieutenant's process gearing up my agency. I've been passing along that exact same stuff that he gave me to that next generation. And he indirectly taught me that lesson that that's what respect, that's what the fire service is about. Don't expect you're getting paid back. And I've told my people countless times, 
you're not paying me back because I bought ice cream right now. But when you're a boss, one day when you've got a kid who's hard on, well, you're going to buy them ice cream. That's going to do something for them. So you're not paying me back direct. You're paying the fire service back. I'm investing in you so that you invest in the fire service. And that's what it's about. That is the purest of the fire service is passing it along, investing in the fire service, not yourself, not an individual, but in the service. Love it. Sorry, I got to timestamp certain things. Beautiful, beautifully said. I actually, I have never really heard that. You're not paying me back. You're paying back the fire service. I love that. Absolutely. That's, that's strong. Um, segueing into, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go into why teamwork, the teamwork aspect. Because you touched on the hard work. You touched on the respect. I want to hear the teamwork aspect, which is all tied together, I know, and I realize. But Yeah, and so we kind of touched on it. I think part of helping them understand teamwork is, again, I'm curious to see another five, 10 years down the road, the kids whose core educational experiences was shut down by COVID, is there going to be something different? Are we going to see an even bigger indent in their ability to work as a team, to communicate? Because I think anyone who can think of someone that they would say, that kid is definitely iPhone generation, they're probably not a great talker because they're used to doing it like this. They're used to doing it over instant messenger, text, Snapchat for that matter. And you got to remind them that we're not sending text messages in the fire. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure NSA is working on something right now that I can send you a text message from the HUD of my, my mask, but right. you got to be able to communicate and you got to be able to bond. And I think one of the ways that you kind of do that is you remind them that you're not everything. The, so we just had a training recently. And the first thing I did when I got to the training house is I looked at which mannequins we were using. I'm like, nope, I'm changing the curriculum right now because I'm not doing another training with a 15 pound mannequin and one of them that's rigid and heavy, but it doesn't move like a human. So the next thing I did is I threw myself, um, someone else who'd been through the training previously down And it completely changed how our training day went. It made a lot of people realize that, oh, hey, I can't pick up the adult hose mannequin that weighs 50 pounds and just toss them out the front door like I'm used to. It takes a team. And it doesn't just take a team. It takes that coordination. It doesn't just take what I'm used to, which drives myself crazy, is the one, two, three, and then they pull in opposite directions and making them understand you know, ready, ready, go. And also the why. When's the last time you had someone teach you ready, ready, go, and they explained what ready, ready, go actually is? It's a conversation. Chief, if it's you and me, when I say ready, I'm asking you if you're ready. If you say ready, you are acknowledging you are ready, and then I am dictating go. Um, you build that out a little bit bigger. Recently, I was able to be at Red Under Fire at IFSI. And one of the evolutions we were doing was the Nance drill. And it was a pretty big instructor. So I had two guys down in the hole with the instructor, six guys at the top of the hole, and we're doing ready, ready, go with them. There's no time for you to be special, for you to be unique in that. We are all the exact same thing. Um, You're a meat piston at that point, which is probably going to be the defining quote of this entire scrap that I just said. (laughs) Um, 
I can already feel the memes being made at my firehouse of that one. So either way, making them understand that you're a cog in the gear. You are unique, and I want to know what makes you unique because some of these kids have got some pretty impressive experiences sometimes or just cool stories, and you want to get to know them and watch them grow up. But there's also a time and a place where you're a cog. I need you to function as a team. And if you don't function as a team, we lose as a team. Right on. I've never come back from a fire and said, man, I won that fire, but everyone else ruined that fire. That would probably be the most arrogant thing you could possibly ever say. The team wins or the team loses. And so I guess it's, you know, it's indoctrination. It's having that communication and making sure that they understand that. This is how this works. This is how we work. So get on board or let's have a conversation. Right One of the classes I teach is an intro to fire class. And the first day during the introduction, and it seems a little heavy handed, but it's important to say this. I tell them, listen, if you decide that the fire service is right for you, I consider that a success. If you decide the fire service is not right for you, I also consider that a success. All I'm here to do is help you and give you information so that you can make your decision for you. <laughs> yeah, I love it, brother. No, uh, from from meat piston, ready, ready, go. The explanation, the conversation, all of it, man. It's it's beautiful. It's a great scrap so far. And oh, then man, uh, we're making t-shirts of meat piston. Meat that's, piston. That's a, I never heard that term before. It's a very it just came very to me. I'm really concerned about my mental health that that just came to me all of a sudden. Very descriptive. Very descriptive. <laughs> it's visual. It's a visual word. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Sam said meat piston will be in the intro video next week. So. <laughs> Uh, ben Jones says, I teach ready, ready, move simply because go sounds like no, which is a good point. So that's not, I, I like that comment. So thank you for it, Ben. Something to think about. Uh, any training tips? Um, I'm looking through the, the I'm, I'm, I'm going through the questions from Kyle right now. Uh, Caleb Alexander wants to know, how do you combat a good season officer that seems to hate the culture change that comes with an extremely hungry young group of firefighters that want to go above and beyond, especially in a volunteer setting? And that's, and that's a tough one. Million dollar question. <laughs> so there's two big elements of this. And one of them is what is your relation with that officer? And if you're the new guy coming in, you're hungry, you want to do this, and you just got to sign this boss, you got to tiptoe around that. And more importantly, understand you're coming to their crew and their house, and you got to bend the knee to some degree. Change comes gradually. Again, I'm going to quote Chief Butzine. Um, he very commonly would talk to me about burnout and say things like, listen, it's not about having 100% push 10% of the time. It's 10% push 100% of the time. That's small incremental growth and that small incremental change. I think about the, the crews that the ones that I miss the most. I read to my sea, my sea crew squirrels, that didn't happen overnight. That took years of constant work and growth and development and bond and friendship. So first thing is, don't think it's going to happen overnight. Second off, where are you with that boss? And if you've got a decent relationship with that boss, and this is one of the single most important pieces of information I've ever been given as a leader, as a firefighter, um, peer support or anything, Ask them, are they okay? And open up that conversation. 
like, hey, why don't you like this? Do you do you perceive us as attacking the fire service? Do you see us as is our different change in how we do the day-to-day things? Do you feel like we're spitting in your face? Try to figure out why they don't like it. And if the answer is just like, no, I don't want to train on Sunday because that's football day or, or that's God's day for that matter. Okay, let's work around that. Can can we do something low key? Because I can remember some of the senior men at my previous agency that would flat out come out and tell us you cannot train on Sunday because you have no idea how hard we fought to not have to work on Sunday. And a simple response would be like, okay, how about we just do like a webinar? I'll come. How about we watch a scrap? Can we do something low key? Maybe we're not outside. Hey, it's a beautiful day. Like I want to be outside. And if we're working hard today, maybe it'll be easier on Monday when we're, or Tuesday when we're back, something like that. So, you know, have a conversation, try right to figure on. it out and maybe you'll get some insight. Maybe they feel like they're losing control, which no matter how humble yeah. you are, if you feel like you're losing control, you feel like you're being attacked. That individual, I mean, in a volunteer agency, maybe they just got promoted, but I a test to get to where I was at. If my people started doing things with 0% of my insight and were scoffing at what I was doing, you know, I'd feel a little hurt and I'd want to know what's going on. Am I not giving you guys what you need? Do we need to, let's have a conversation. So those ones that don't want to have that conversation, open up that conversation, figure out what's going on. And so I think that's kind of the answer is get some background information. And more importantly, just remember that the culture will change. If you're consistent with it, whether or not they like it or not, because if you have the mass behind you and you guys want to train and you want to get better, you want to do this. Mass is going to win every single time, as long as you're consistent on it and you don't step out of line. There you go. That's beautiful. Uh, the 10 pounds of pressure, hundred percent of the time. And Chad even came in and said, not my quote, stole that from Rob Fisher. So he's actually, but he said it. Yeah, but absolutely. Um, I love it. Uh, I love this question that came in. How do you get a young, this comes from Stephen Bridges. How do you get a young firefighter paramedic that wants uh, to take the advanced classes or promote, but doesn't have the basic skills down, especially without breaking their spirit? Man, that's, you're right. That's a great question. Um, No, that's a tough, I mean, it's got a, it's got some facets to it for sure. Well, more importantly, to some degree, the previous answer is the exact same answer here. To have a conversation with them. If, you know, and I think we all know those people that are chasing a promotion for some reason or another, whether or not, sure. and again, have a conversation. Why are you chasing that promotion? Find out, yeah, I got triplets on the way. Like, oh, yeah, we should try to do anything we can to get you a little bit more money. Um, but simultaneously, have that conversation and Try to be that mentor that's like, listen, I love that you're taking these classes. We got to take a step back. Why are you taking Rope Rescue 3 when we don't even have ropes and you haven't done Rope Rescue 1? Why do you want um, advanced underwater basket weaving when you don't even know how to scuba dive yet? Right. Take a step back. And again, you really got to be careful with any of these interactions is understand your relation to that person. If you're some junior person and they've got, you know, five years, it's not a great conversation. But I think the question said that you got a fresh person in there. 
And again, it goes back to make them understand that this stuff doesn't happen over time, overnight. Like, and I, I really hate to quote, get some time on the job, but there's some truth to that. Right. You no, know, run a couple calls, have a few more conversations, like take the class so you're ready and, you know, take the test if you want to practice on it. But why are you doing this? Are you truly ready? And, you know, one way that you could also phrase it is pick however big your crew is. So put them in a scenario and say, hey, you got you're the brand new lieutenant and these five random people from our department are your crew. How are you going to handle them? And I'm guessing they're going to go, whoa, you know, I never really thought about how I would have to interact with them when I have the least amount of time on in that crew. But I'm the officer. And it's not a good feeling to be put in that spot and recognize that if you're the most inexperienced person on a crew, but you're the boss, you're not actually the boss. And, you know, moral of the story, the closest thing you're ever going to get to a silver bullet in the fire service is to have a conversation with them. Talk to them. Make them understand. Figure out where they're at. Make them understand that you don't see them the same way. One of my people had a very, very candid conversation with me a while back. They were very flat out like, hey, you know, um, when you were and he's older than me and has a lot of experience and a lot of outside the fire service, in the fire service, EMS, all that stuff. It's like, you know, I really wasn't too confident when you came here with your age. And, you know, I thought that you just thought you're a hot shot. And it was a very good conversation for me because he made me realize what people's impression of me were, especially behind my back, because I'm an imposing guy. And not too many people are willing even behind a closed door to have a candid conversation. So I respected that. It made our relationship significantly better knowing where I was in his eyes and then more importantly, where I was at that moment. And it also no. was good to know that you no. know, that's some yeah. people's impression of me. So have a conversation. Uh, I like this. One. I, like, I love this question, actually. And I mean, I don't know. Mark Berg wants to know, is there a point where too much of the why takes away from the delivery of the intended message? And if so, where is the stopping point? Yeah, so something that I really, I've been struggling with, so I've only recently started working at our tech college, and when I was going through our orientations there, one of the pieces of information that I was given was they routinely get feedback from students that say they were told too many ways to do a single skill. Cause we all know there's more than one way to tie a family of eight knot. There's a hundred different ways to advance a hose line. There's a thousand different ways to raise a ladder. And these students wanted to just be told, do it this way. And this stopped me dead in my tracks. And I must've asked them to repeat it three or four times because that's the exact opposite of how I teach in the fire Academy, because you are all unique individuals. I'm six, four, two sixty, a, you know, five foot two, hundred pound individual is not going to throw a 24 two fly the same way that I do to the same effect, but you need the same end result. So can the why wash out your message? Yeah, I really do think so. Because at a certain point, you've got to try it. You've got to do something. You've got to figure it out your way. I can give you all of these hundred different ways to throw that 24, but to some degree, if I just keep giving you ways without making you try it, without fi- making you find your own way. And also that's, there's no character development in that. If I'm right. only ever spoon feeding you that information, 
how are you going to progress? Now, if you're one of my new instructors, I want you to show me five different ways to do this and be able to illustrate it very carefully to a brand new person. But to the average person, you got to kind of look, see when those eyes start to gloss over. And I've flat out said it to some students, like, you did not hear a word I just said. And they're like, what? I'm like, yep, okay, let's, let's take a break. Let's get some coffee. Let's get some water. Let's get out of the sun and let's circle back and see where we're at. So, yeah, absolutely. To a degree, you can throw too much information at them. Uh, I'm trying to look here. Lots of lots of the uh, – uh, what has been your favorite rank or position on the fire ground and why? So I know you're currently lieutenant, but what's your, what's your take? Um, you know, I think we all know – It's coming from, coming from Kyle Romagus, by the way. I wanted to throw that. I think we all know that black hat is the best position out there. But I really like being a lieutenant, and I make the joke, but it's completely serious – if you stick with me long enough, I'll teach you the art of skipping staging. And there's a lot that goes into that. I could probably write an entire article on it. But when you're a red hat, you've taught. I mean, I got so far, you've said a bunch of names that were mentors of mine that are amazing to me that I'm worth it for them to log on and listen to what I have to say in this time frame. But when you have that respect, when you have that presence, when you have that confidence and you show up to a scene with a squared away crew because you trained them rigorously to perform highly. One of my favorite things is uh, in my agency, the lieutenant has the New York hook. So I always got my six foot hook with me, but then I really love my piercing nozzle. So I'll roll up the staging with a piercing nozzle and a six foot hook. And when you've got me with my gear squared away in a crew that just looks hungry, you get work. And it requires a strong leadership presence. It also requires just a big dude to just get up in the face of that staging officer and go, I'm here, give me work. And typically we get work pretty quickly. So I got to say for that aspect alone of being able to get my people more work, I really like being a line officer. It's uh, because I feel fulfilled when my people get to work. Like the black hats want to work. So I'm going to get them work. That's what my job is. Lieutenant, to go back to my made-up um, explanation of what a lieutenant is in Latin, I have one <laughs> job. It is not the call. It is not the patient. My job as a lieutenant is my people. Because if I train them correctly, they're going to perform. If I keep them safe, if I keep them fed, if I keep them trained, they're going to perform. That patient will get to the hospital healthy. That fire will go out in a timely manner. Those victims will get saved. But that comes down to me as the boss doing my job, which is training and really making my people successful. Oh, man, I love it. Uh, uh, yeah, I especially like your Latin lieutenant. Um, today's social media generation comes from Steve McCaffrey. Today's social media generation loves posting everything. How do you handle posting material and the dichotomy of keeping the go-getters happy and admin slash risk management happy. Yeah. Um, some good things are some hardballs actually coming. No, I was actually trying to figure out how to tell this story without getting some of us in trouble. So I've been Petitious. on both sides of that. The uh, I want to post, 
I've gone to fire chiefs in the past and said, I want to run and lead our social media. And they're like, absolutely not. We will not do that. I've gone to many classes on helmet cameras and all the legal stuff of that. Um, I've ran social medias before. I've gotten myself in trouble with social media from a professional and a non-professional standpoint. So you make sure that they understand the mission. So the helmet camera policy that I wrote a while back that's still sitting in draft, it spells out right away in it, what is the purpose of this and benefit of the department? When I would post something as a social media admin, I made sure that it was not just my eyes that saw it before I hit post. Minimum, I needed one other person to see it, to catch those little things and make sure that we weren't sending the wrong message. So at one point in time, I was with the crew that we were extremely proud. We trained very hard, very tight-knit group, and we started becoming outcasts. And more and more, we realized that, well, after the fact, we realized that we weren't bringing the whole agency up. We got past them, and we were scoffing at them. So we were getting exceptionally good, really good, but everybody else hated us. If I And I was a part-timer at this point, so if I worked on one of those other shifts, they're like, oh, cool, this kid's here. Like He's going to tell us how he's better than us and all this stuff. And I didn't realize it at that time. And the point that really resonated that was we were doing an RTF training, and we were going to pose with a bunch of our cops. <laughs> There's a, uh, a hockey brand called The Violent Gentleman, and they've got a catchphrase that says no one likes us we don't care don't care and we were going to pose with that flag and luckily the lieutenant was like hey that's not a good idea and that's when it hit me and i really thought about this sticker that we were touting we were proud like yeah nobody likes us but we don't care because we're better than them like whoa how far off the mark had i gotten at that point like I thought that was acceptable and I thought that was cool. Like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, take a step back. Let's recenter ourselves. Let's ground ourselves to this one. So to try to go back and answer that question and not just tell a story, make sure you help them understand one slip up on social media and it's all gone. You ruin that agency and it might not even be intentional. So and I teach in my intro class. I talk about it in our fire academy. Um, social media. I've got an entire page and it only took me one day to compile all of these horrible examples of these pictures. Uh, I think it was Detroit that got into a ton of trouble because they had an abandoned house that was going wide open. No one was in there. They had exposures control. There were other crews putting water on the fire, but there's one guy retiring. He had like 35 years on the job and so him and a bunch of the guys gathered around and took a picture in front of this burning house. But what did the public see? Mm-hmm. The public saw all their firemen that are always asking for more money, more staffing, more, 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 more. And they're standing around taking a picture. To us, that was a lifelong cherished memory that everyone's going to have that picture. Everyone's going to remember that one. But what did the public see? The public saw the firemen not doing their thing. There is one and I could go on and on and on about all these instances about how this could go bad. So I have a conversation with your people, make sure you understand. And I fully agree. Take pictures of your crew, take pictures of your job, take pictures of the men, the women, 
make sure you have pictures to remember the crew. Yes. I'll be completely honest, when I was setting up all this to make it look cool in my backdrop, I was trying to think how many printed off pictures of my crew do I have that I can put here so that you guys watching know how much you mean to me. And I realized I didn't have many printed off because they're all in digital format. So encourage them to take those pictures, encourage them to have that camaraderie, but make sure and really, really hammer it home to them. And if you want to touch base with me, I can give you a laundry list of times that this has gone bad for agencies. Make sure they realize that you post the wrong thing in the wrong way and it can ruin a lot of stuff. Your agency, your uh, your impression across your county, your job. And it's not even just you sharing pictures of you and your guys. It's you sharing tactics, articles. What's the subtext that this is transmitting to the rest of your, to the other people? So have a conversation with them and encourage them like, hey, I love you guys taking pictures. I love you guys having all this stuff. But what's the purpose? And are you always thinking about purpose? Right on, brother. No, no, I love that. Again, the communicate, have the conversation. Uh, there seems to be a theme uh, and it seems to be effective. Um, I like this question uh, from Jake Deal, and it, it ties right into the whole generational aspect. He says, I have a question. Is there is there too much to ask from our recruits? Or should we expect them to obey and learn how we have in the 80s, the 90s, and 2000s? I mean, at some point, the breaks of obedience have to stop, right? Like we have to have a standard, and it is what it is, like it or not. So, how do you? How do you? Yeah, yeah when so people say a lot of different elements of that one. Right. So, first thing I heard was, "Can we ask too much from our recruits?" Absolutely, one hundred percent. We can ask too much. Now, how does that happen? And I'm going to say, we ask too much of our recruits when we're not giving them the why, the explanation, and more importantly, we're doing things just for the sake of doing it. The uh, And we're going to burn bridges like that too. So we, my department runs the 4896, so even a brand new recruit that should be training, should be doing this, if we were at some insane call the night before, for instance, one of the hardest shifts that I've had in recent history um, started with a pregnancy that drove up to one of our firehouses at 2 a.m. As soon as that was cleared, we went to a barn fire. We're sitting there all night, and anybody who's been to a barn fire knows that they're not necessarily fun. It's just a lot of work. And, of course, it starts snowing in the middle of that. And then we got the famous plane full of dogs that crashed, and none of us had been to sleep at that point. So we get back at noon barely have time to go to quick trip, get ourselves some frozen pizzas and we're just exhausted. And a certain ranking individual of our department came in and said, Hey, can you guys go shovel that snow? Uh, it's starting to pile up. And I nearly came across the table with this person, but they outranked me and I bit my tongue and I said, I'm going to go do that. And my people need sleep after that. So that was the wrong thing. And that individual absolutely lost more respect than anyone could ever not recognizing these people are exhausted. That was, is shoveling snow necessarily that difficult spread across an entire crew? No, not at all. But was that too much right then? Because we weren't meeting the basic needs of our crew. Absolutely. So understand when we cross that line of when we're doing things just because, you know, in the eighties, these guys went all day, no sleep, every shift, they didn't get food. They didn't get this. 
versus like, no, let's, let's think about, are they learning? Are they enjoying this career? Are they going to look back fondly on this or is this going to be a scar for the rest of their career? So as far as asking too much or too little, ask a lot, expect a lot, but make sure you give them what they need to succeed in that. Make sure they got their sleep when they need it. The like probie should never nap. Anyone who's had a probation that got sick, that had something really bad or had a really busy 48 or 72 for that matter, knows that we'll bend that rule for them. Because at a certain point, you're not functional. You're not learning and you're going to kill someone if you don't have what you need. So let them function. Um, so can we expect too much? We can't expect too much when we're not letting them function, giving them what they need to survive. You have the rest of that question. I kind of, there's a uh, of really good elements worth it. Should we expect them to obey and learn how we have in the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands? I mean, at some point the breaks of obedience have to stop, right? Like we have to have a standard and what is it like it? And, and, and it is what it is like it or not. Yeah. And the, I don't think we have to be the eighties and nineties. I think, like I said, Dennis Leary's report from Engine Company 82. Is it good to know where we were? Yes. Do I think that 20 years from now the fire service is going to look like that? Not everywhere. I know my agency doesn't look anything like the FDNY. It doesn't look like any other agency that I've worked for. And that took me a while to understand. When I was also a lieutenant for my volunteer agency, I came in thinking that I'm going to make this place look like the FDNY. Guess how well liked I was? Not at all. Actually, I think it was Chief Thompson's book that helped me understand just how off the mark I was on that one. And I had to change to understand my organization and how I fit into that organization and how that organization grows with me instead of me trying to force and mutate growth because you can't force it. You need to have the masses behind you. So um, at a certain point, do they need to get on board? Yes, 100%. But are they getting on board their train or are they getting on our train or are we meeting somewhere in the middle? That part I can't answer. And that comes back to having a conversation really. Am I in the wrong because I'm trying to force them to be, you know, a Harlem eighties fireman or am I, are they in the wrong because they're just not getting our agency. And so there's a lot of details that go into that. No, I love it, man. And it's a, and and it's good comments coming through. You're gonna have to go back and read the comments because there's some good ones about the dog, uh, the plane crash full of dogs. Uh, also, smoothbore cartel said, "Do we need to use the nozzle like they did in the '40s?" Yes. So they tying it into the the past, but um, yeah. And Jake Deal said, "Thanks, Brian. I appreciate your answer, brother." Jake, it was a great question. Thank you for doing it. And man, it puts a nice bow on the conversation. Although I think we could keep talking about it for another two or three hours, especially with the questions coming in. I feel like we just barely started scratching the surface of all that we could talk about. But I do want to get to some of my favorite stuff, which one you've already alluded to or or not alluded to. You showed report from engine company 82. Uh, So talk to me, book or books that you think firefighters should be uh, reading. (laughs) So. I 100% have two more books I want to mention because I could not bring, and I'm, I meant to ask you beforehand because I think two of them have been mentioned before. I'm actually going to pause for one second. And one other thing that I really want to encourage all of you to encourage your iPhone generation and encourage these new generations is 
Um, as much as I love having a book and I like filling my library out and having that hard copy, and that's something that I'm going to cherish forever, recognize that that's not the best way for this current generation to learn. And social media is a powerful, powerful tool for helping them learn. I don't like agencies that have rules saying you cannot be on your phone. If you're going to be on your phone, there's a time and a place for it. And the other thing is, I mentioned earlier, ask them what they're doing. If you're sitting on there playing some stupid game, okay, we, we let's go drill. Let's go do something. But what I encourage my people to do is follow these pages. Fire, fire, follow Firehouse Vigilance, Smoothbore Cartel. There's hundreds, if not thousands, I'm sure there's thousands of them out there. But then more importantly, don't just look at it, absorb it, bring it to me and have a conversation. When I first got promoted, we had this really interesting thing happen. I had still had my Facebook live, I, um, Instagram, YouTube, and I just had fire service all over there. And my interns, I had two of them at the time, kept bringing me this thing saying like, hey, LT, have you seen this before? And every single time I had seen it, and that was just because I spent too much time on social media, but that was also how I kept myself sharp when I wasn't going to conferences and stuff like that. So it became a game to them. They started following every obscure training page, trying to find something to stump me with. And I noticed this. And so they bring me something and say, hey, LT, have you seen this? And there's a couple times I literally saw it a minute before they came in with it. And I will tell you right now, and if either of them are listening, they're going to be cussing at me. I lied more than a few times because what I wanted to do and what I was doing was I kept them going. Even if they weren't absorbing everything that they saw, they were taking in and seeing a ton of fire training content. And if they're just sitting there digging through trying to find something, they're retaining some of that. And that's training. What we would also do and what I started to do is like, I have seen that, but how would you do that extrication with the equipment we have? We don't have those struts. We don't have those jacks. We don't have those airbags. How would you do that? Have that conversation. So as much as I love having these books and everything, tell your people to follow these pages, share things with them. I have more than a few firefighters that will send me stuff and say like, hey, what do you think about this? How would we stretch on this? And that's what I want. The iPhone generation has the potential to bring in more knowledge quicker than any other generation that we've ever had before. But don't just let them look at it. Have them retain it. Have a conversation. And I don't like doing the scenarios and table talking about how other agencies fought that fire. How would we fight that fire? I want to see it the pre-arrival stuff, the first line going into service. And very rarely is it going to be like, okay, why did this stretch go poorly? And how could we avoid the mistakes that happened on this one? That kind of thing. So um, that was something I, I kept bouncing around and forgetting to mention earlier on. But like really encouraging oh, I love people it. I love to follow it. that stuff. No, you know, I'm a huge fan of reading, but I absolutely agree with you 100%. Man, the power of social media uh, is like if anybody doesn't understand it, they are literally a past generation that refuses to grow. Um, and I think it's uh, Jordan Peterson, I think, who says that the the long form discussion for the first time in history over the last ten years or so, the 
spoken word has the same reach as the written word because it used to be just books was the only way to get it. But now the spoken word with long form discussion and podcasts and whatnot, it actually has the same kind of reach for the content. Now, yeah. the I still am a fan of the physiological act of reading and, and all that it does for your brain and mind, independent of the content, just the act of doing it. But that's a separate thing. So, sorry. Go ahead. Don't mean to cut you off. No, that was, that was more or less it. So getting back to what you had started with, the books that you got to have, um, this one really helped shape me as far as my growth as a leader. It's Jocko's Leadership Strategies and Tactics. And one of the reasons why I like it is – it's smaller, and the way he wrote it is it's bite-sized pieces. So even the ADHD fire lieutenant can take it one piece at a time. I think I remember you telling me about how you read books just a little bit at a time. You've got your, uh, your tab system and everything. Just read one section or two at a time. Sometimes they're really short. Sometimes they're a little bit longer, and it takes a little bit to get through. And even if you're not a boss, you've got some leadership abilities. So that's the one I would say for those that are trying to get leadership. And then especially with where we are in the fire service with mental health and understanding how to talk and really importantly, understand each other. This is one I just read in school not that long ago. It's when bad things happen to good people by Harold Kushner. And he's actually a rabbi. And so don't get me wrong. This book is written very heavily from a religious standpoint. Right. But it brings up some really interesting conversations that he's had throughout his career as a rabbi with people that recently went through grief, loss, are bereaved, and how you have conversations with those people without making yourself sound like a complete ass. And it's just kind of fascinating. And it, it also is a great way to start priming your brain to be able to step back and analyze things and have a discussion about these things. Like what did they, so one of the points is, um, a family loses their son. And as soon as he walks into their house to have a conversation with them and to work with them, they didn't seem that grief stricken. And he was taken aback by that. They said, well, you know, Rabbi, um, we cheated on our fast last, I can't remember which one it was. And he was stunned. These people truly believed that their God took away their son's life because they cheated on their fast. What did that say about their belief in their deity or how holy they held their religious beliefs? And it's, it was just, when you really take a step back, like they, they weren't that grief stricken because they'd already found their answer. Like, Hey, we screwed up. So God killed our son. Right. Okay. Well, we got to have a whole different conversation about your mental health and where you rank your religious beliefs. So it, it was fascinating. It was a really interesting one. And it's not going to give you any huge answers, but there's some really interesting passages and some really interesting thoughts in it. Nice. Nice. No, I love it. Uh, and a nice uh, array between Jocko, Dennis Smith, and uh, Kushner. Very I cool. Into this, I had to bring something from my psychology schooling background. I was trying to think like what sync and we read so many research papers. I wasn't going to hold up a 80 page research paper and be like, Oh yeah, you got to read this one. This one really breaks down Dunning Kruger and it's like fascinating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and again, I think each one of them brings something different for a different group of people knowing that everyone watching this is going to be somewhere different in their experience. 
Love it. I love it, man. So we have a thing we do. I'm not, I don't know you're aware. It's called the five questions for firefighters. We are currently on version 3.1. It is the third iteration of the questions. Um, so basically, there are no wrong answers. They are all your opinions. And then I, the points are arbitrary, assigned by me with the help of the audience who is scoring you. So my question for you is, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters versions 3.1? 3.1, here we go. Here we go. Number one, what is the skill that has carried you through your fire service career? Uh, love. And anyone who thinks that love isn't a skill has got more failed relationships than I do. But really, at the end of the day, what's going to get us back onto that truck when our gear is soaked, when we're sweaty, when we're disgusting? It's some form of love, whether that's the job, for the people that are calling for our help, or just to be there for your crew. Because if you don't get on their truck, you're down one more person. So I think that's really it. The when I'm having a rough patch, when I don't want to go to work, when everything seems like it's going downhill for me, or am I going to call in sick? And no offense, my acting lieutenant, but now my crew gets their acting lieutenant instead of their lieutenant that has invested them, they have a rapport with, that knows their station, knows them. No, that they deserve better from me. And I'm going to give them better than that. And at the end of the day, I think there's only one way to describe that. That's, that's love. For your, your crew, your job, yourself, uh, and more importantly, the people that we're going on, the people we're going to calls for. I man, I want to say I've never had love given as an answer before uh, on this iteration. But you know, the different iterations of the of the of the question before. I don't want to sell anybody short. If they if they said it before in the past, I apologize. But uh, let me see. You got a Joshua Ebert said three point two. You're correct. My notes were off. My notes were off. So three point two is the questions you were answering. That's the version we're on. Max point from Stephen Bridges. Love is deep from Josh Everett's eight exclamation points and max points. Jake Deal said, I like that. And he threw up some rockers. Max points, 100, 10 out of 10 for Joe Honroth. So safe to say people um, approve of your love answer. It's going to go one of two ways with firefighters when you say love. You know what I'm saying? You're either you're roasted or explain. If I just said love, they'd be like, oh, my God, we've been listening to a hippie this whole time. This, this guy's out of here. Uh, <laughs> It's job town. It's time. You're in route and responding. You know the scene from Backdraft. You've already referenced Backdraft. He slaps he slaps the cassette tape in and starts playing the song. Um, you're, you're responding. What song is playing in route? I got to cheat on this one. I got to put two, but there's an explanation behind it. So it starts off with Kid Rocks, Bawa Daba, <laughs> and it follows with Disturbed, Down with the Sickness. Now, the reason that I have to put these two is... When YouTube first started coming around, Facebook had videos on it. There was this guy, I think Mike Lesnick from the East Coast out in Manassas, Virginia. And he had these response videos before GoPros were a thing. And he'd mash them up, make these awesome, get you fired up. And those two songs he had over this response video, this tower ladder, before I ever worked on a ladder. So I'm like, oh, yeah, truck work, love it. But in the background, you've also got the cue going. The power call and the air horn. So every time I hear these two songs, I hear the holy trinity of the cue, the air horn, and the power call going in the background. And every good gym PR I've ever had, I pull up that YouTube video. I just rewatched it today a couple times in the gym to make sure I got fired up. So if you guys haven't looked, I think it's like 
um, Manassas structure fire response or something. He can thank me later for hyping up his video, but just the audio from it, oh, those two songs fit together perfect. And then the power call, the cue, the air horn, like I said, it's a holy trinity. It's, it's a masterpiece of audio. Manassas, Virginia, badass videos. Uh, Stephen Bridges posted that there in YouTube. So you'll have to go check it out. I'm seeing if anybody is given your double answer max points. I'm on the fence. I'm on, I mean, I like, I like the, I like the story behind it. Uh, I'm waiting to see. Jake Deal said 4.7 on down with the sickness. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. Josh Everett said max because he added the power call. Power call in the queue saved the answer. Exactly. Max points two for two. Number three. What is your favorite fire service tradition? Again, there's a slight explanation that goes with this one. The general answer is baking. So there's two parts that goes with this. And the, the, longer, the longer running cultural thing, we refer to it as fire cakes. So where did this come from? Um, again, a crew that I used to work for, we had a string of like those two, 3 a.m. fires that by the time you're back and you're cleaned up, it's too early in the morning to go back to bed and you're starving. And one day we come back from the first one. So I was like, oh, you want pancakes? We're like, absolutely fire cakes. So we had like 5 a.m. pancakes and it was the best crappy firehouse pancakes you've ever had, but you're just tired. Yes. After that. yes. And then we had another one and we came back and we're like, let's have some cakes. And so now it's this, for the people that experienced it, it's this thing, and I, I always do it. If we have a late night fire, we're having fire cakes. And it's got to be that right window, but fire cakes is, it, it's just a happy thing. You're having that first cup of coffee. You just got showered. You're almost going home. You got a good job in. Fire cakes is where it's at. And then there's one other thing that a mentor of mine reminded me. Uh, it was truth biscuits. <laughs> Uh, I, I couldn't for the life of me remind, remember exactly how it started, but my crew had this thing that when you had some hard truth that you had to, when you just really had to get it off your chest, we'd sit around the table and it was like red lobster cheddar bay biscuits that we'd make in the oven and you'd eat a biscuit and you'd just get roasted by your crew. Like, dude, you've been screwing up. You haven't been doing any NARC checks. You've been putting on weight. You're being a real piece of shit lately. I need you to get together. But because you're eating the biscuit, it made it all better. And that was the only acceptable time to just roast one of the other guys was as soon as it started getting mean, I can remember my lieutenant like, oh, get the biscuits, get the biscuits. And it was just so baking uh, is ridiculous. And I don't know if I guess you can't really call pancakes baking, but you got right. No, I like it. I like I like I like I like the spirit of it. The pancakes, the fire cakes, man. Especially when you say fresh shower, cup of coffee, good job eating pancakes, man. If you can't feel that, oh. uh, man, if you can't feel that, uh, the first cup of coffee, even if it's crappy Folgers coming out the pot, the yep. first post fire cup of coffee. Again, Josh Everts is hooking you up. Max, bake and roast. Yeah, My you can guy. bake and roast. Is Josh your buddy? I, I love Josh. <laughs> Tommy Rivers said Max. Three for three. Number four, on the clock. We're getting ready to put you on the clock. Uh, You get one minute to answer this question. No meandering. Four and four only. Anything more, any honorable mentions, gets you zero points. So, Sam is getting it ready. Are you ready? Let's go. Who 
are the four people you would put on your Mount Rushmore of the fire service and go. All right. So I'm going to actually burn some time here because I refuse to go faster than Rothmeyer because he did such a great job and I have all mine written down right now. So I got to burn some time off the clock. So I think now we can get to the first one. Andy Fredericks, you cannot have him up there. Um, behind that, an individual that I reference his videos and I reference him every fire academy, Lieutenant Mike Champo, 100%. Truck guy, love it. Behind that, someone who doesn't get the love he deserves for an area of the fire service that he doesn't get the love he deserves, Dennis Laguerre. Like, talk about someone who makes you feel dumb. Dennis Laguerre, but he great instructor. And uh, because of the story that we told at the beginning and how profound it was to me in the fire service, Chief, I'm putting you up there. You really, you taught me something so important about remembering being humble, having networking, talking to people, passing along a lot, the love of the, and if it's my Mount Rushmore, I'm putting you up there. Cause like I said, it was a profound thing that you taught me in just having that conversation with me when we became friends. And honestly, when you think about it, I had my engine guy, I had my hydraulics guy, I had my truck guy. You gotta have something about the social aspect of it and really the brotherhood. And frankly, you taught me that. Uh, dude, I'm humbled and honored. Uh, thank you. Uh, easy max points for me because you put me up there. That's, that's the, that's the hack. No, seriously, brother. Uh, thank you. Uh, I don't know what to say other than thank you. And uh, yeah, it makes me feel awkward that thank Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> number, number five, uh, way to kill it on the max points and uh, heavy fire. It's the, it's the question has been around since the beginning. Uh, the question that'll never change heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? VES. I mean, the, I go back and forth on this all the time, but there's nothing more satisfying. We know that than when that water first starts hitting that fire, of course it's a smooth board. I'm not just saying this because I know Ramagus is going to give me full points, but it's uh, it's such an incredible feeling. But at the same time, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the rescue diver aspect that getting in, it's smoky. You can't see anything. You start feeling the top of your head roasting. You feel your ears roasting. And you just got to close your eyes and you go like that's something different takes over when you're doing that search and you know that you got someone in there and you got to go and you got to do work. And I'm definitely the person that I want to be in that window first. I want to be out that window last. And I want to be guiding my crew more importantly, because you got to have a solid head leading that search, especially when you got fire everywhere and you only got a couple seconds to make happen what you got to make happen. I love it, man. I love, I love the VES answer. More importantly, there is no wrong answer. I mean, I, if you, you, what I want to know more of is the reason why, and I love your reason why, man. And of course, that's kind of the theme of the entire scrap was explain the why. And I think you absolutely crushed it on the five questions for firefighters version 3.2. And that with max points officially makes it 212 scraps in the books. My brother, Lieutenant Brian Richards. There it is. <laughs> That's where we met. Uh, what an amazing, amazing evening you shared with us, man. Uh, uh, it was fun. It, it was an absolute honor to be here. I can't believe that I just got to do that with some of just the incredible names that you've had on here. And it, it's humbling for me, too. 
I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, bro. I really did. And and the audience did too. You have to go back and look at all the comments. We we cracked over a hundred comments during the scrap, uh, like probably 30 minutes ago. So there's probably 200 by now, but it tells me when we hit a hundred. And, uh, those I going to say, uh, how, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do so? If people want to reach out, ask a question, get more information. Yeah, I specifically, I always had an incognito Facebook. I have made it very cognito now. So I've got my Facebook with my real name and a picture of me on it now. So you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I'm much more active on Instagram. Uh, feel free to grab my email. It's brich3101 at Yahoo, B-R-I-C-H-3101 at Yahoo. Uh, yes, I'm old enough to still have a Yahoo account. Still go right on with that. Right on. Um, and then I think I got a lot of friends that are in the comments here. Somebody asked for my phone number. Don't be afraid to drop it, but just don't blow my phone up when I'm trying to sleep. Right on. Love to talk about any of this. Love to have these conversations. And more importantly, Look forward to seeing you guys down at conferences and at classes. So if you see me walking around, um, I'm pretty hard to miss. And there's a decent chance I'll be close to the bar. Right on. Uh, Joe Hunter, I have to read this because it cracked me up. Joe Hunter said, six foot four, going through a window, ready to work, 10 out of 10. That's a, that's a good comment. You know what I'm saying? And then, but the follow-up, Alan said, I hope he sounds the floor because there is a meat piston coming in. <laughs> <laughs> that, one, that one cracked me up. I like uh, it. All right. Uh, meat piston is going to be a thing. I'm sorry. It might be too Meat piston t-shirts coming meat soon. Meat piston t-shirts. I'm not sure what the graphic's going to look like. Scares uh, me a little bit. Yeah. Go to firehousevigilance.com. The vigilantes. I, I hype them every show. Uh, it's five bucks a month. Go become a part of it. Uh, this Thursday, maybe Wednesday, but one of the two days. I've been talking about it in the vigilantes for a while, but Wednesday or Thursday, I'm going live with the vigilantes just to specifically talk about the question that we get asked all the time. How do you handle a toxic culture, especially from the bottom up? And that's all I'm going to be talking about is that question and some uh, other things. But it's private for the vigilantes only. only. So get there. T-shirts and hats are coming for the vigilantes. Uh, I'm announcing it on this scrap. And it's not – that's the only way to get them is to be a vigilante. And it's not for profit. It's going to be like a cost and shipping. That's it. Uh, so that's all parts of being a kick-ass vigilante. Uh, next week. Coming up on the show, my brother, Frank Lieb, coming back once more to talk about his new book that just came out today, Cornerstones of Leadership. So very excited for him. Very excited to talk about that. I love that guy. Following that, Basil Ibrahim is coming back on the show. And we're going to, and then, I mean, so two for two. uh, And then finally, um, Paul Shoemaker, three weeks from today, which is lithium ion batteries electric vehicle fires. There's been a ton of people asking, please, 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 can you cover uh, lithium ion and electric vehicle? And that's Paul Shoemaker. He's coming on, FDIC instructor on it. So you talk about Brian Richards warming up the crowd for those three. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, the final quarter of 2023 is shaping up to be amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I think that covers everything. The scrap after party, that's the last thing. As soon as the scrap is over, I will post a link. Brian has agreed to come in there and get roasted by the vigilantes. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but get your questions ready to have conversations with him in there. And other than that, it's time. Brian, thank you for sharing your evening with me and the audience. Thank you, chief. Could have done without you. Everybody audience. You are the ones that make this magical, especially with the comments, especially with the meat piston comments. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, you make the scrap magical. Thank you. I hope The tones stay silent unless it is burning. Everybody stay safe out there.
Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.